I don't think we always know when we're in the presence of real saints. I think sometimes they sneak in among us. And because part of the um, attributes of real saints, maybe I should say mature saints, is they just aren't self-absorbed. They're not continually calling attention to themselves. They, they come and they're among us and we don't really know all that they're facing or all that they're dealing with. They just don't draw attention to themselves. While we were away on uh, men's retreat last weekend, we had a host of folks who filled in and appreciate all of that. And you had a preacher with you, uh, Reverend Dr. Mary Lou Shea, preached for us, drove down from Massachusetts to preach with us and uh, be here take care of that responsibility. I don't think anyone who was walking with her last Sunday would have known what she faced in the seven days before she came here. So in those seven days, well, you need to know a little more background. Some time ago, Mary Lou gave up her apartment and house to move in with her mother because her mother had cancer and she was gonna care for her mother in her last days. And so Mary Lou didn't have a place to live apart from her mother's condo, which she moved into to care for her mother during those last days. In the seven days before she came here, her mother died. She put that condo on the market, received bids, sold that condo, accepted a new job in Kansas City, Missouri, to which she has to report by November 1st. So in the space of that week, well, there was a funeral, right? And all the things that attend the grieving process. And, and if I understand correctly, she sort of walked through here and no one knew any of that. Not a word. And I think, I think that's part of the mark of the saints. There's something about denying ourselves and opening ourselves to the resources of God so that he's able to use us in ways that are beyond our ability to use. Because she would tell you that she didn't preach in her own strength last Sunday. She was open to what the Father would do through her in ways that didn't call attention to herself. (laughs) I actually wrote to her after... I returned, because I didn't know that either. I said, I'm sorry. If I had known all that was going on in your life those seven days, I never would have asked you to come and preach. I would have found someone else to do it. She said, oh no, it was my pleasure to enjoy your warm people and to be a part of hearing the word of God among us. Fascinating. But as I sat in men's retreat, and as I've considered all of that, I've decided that I think I have a problem. I was sitting for most of the sessions at the retreat with Bill Page, who was the speaker. Um, And at one particular time, we were just talking lighthearted banter about the fate of the New York Yankees and that kind of stuff. Um, And in the middle of that lighthearted, essentially meaningless conversation, he asked me some question about the Church of the Nazarene. I answered that question. 
I can't remember the question. I can't remember my answer. I can only remember his response to my answer. He said to me, wow, you really switched from humorous to all business in an instant. The minute I asked about the church, I bet you could be really intimidating. And this from a retired New York City cop who knows what he's talking about when he talks about intimidating. He caught me off guard. I wasn't trying to be intimidating. Uh, and to be fair, he didn't say I was being intimidating. He's only that he could see the potential for that in me. I add that for the sake of my own self-esteem. And I have been told a time or two that I can be intimidating, mostly by the person to whom I'm married. And so I have to say to myself, what, what is that about me? Is, is it about using leverage and influence and tone of voice to get my own way? I'm, I'm still chewing on all of that because you know how it is. If your spouse says one thing to you and no one else says it to you, you sort of take it with a grain of salt. Maybe because, I mean, you've been together for a year or 35 and, and you know, you start to only, well, you know what it is, selective hearing. You know, it's not really a hearing defect and hearing aids don't help in this particular category. But we don't always hear everything that our spouses are saying or if we do, we take it with a grain of salt because we know all the dynamics that have gone on and we only hear so much because we only believe so much. But when someone else says it to you, then you have to pay attention. And so I'm chewing on that conversation. And even more so after spending time with this particular passage this week. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you really, really desired to get your own way? Where you really, really desired to get your own way? Maybe I should put some flesh on situations like this. Maybe things aren't going well in the office with a particular person. They seem lazy to you, don't pull their fair share of the workload. They aren't easy to talk with. You find them too loud and frankly a little irritating. You would like to have the opportunity to correct their behavior and get them into shape that, well, a shape that would suit you better, but they don't report to you. So after enduring their behavior, you start to think in your head, why should I have to put up with this? And once you're in that place, the internal voices in your head take over and you're never satisfied with the person no matter what they do and they become the enemy and a constant source of irritation and things get worse from there. Or perhaps you have a relative who is always needy. No matter how hard you work to get ahead, they're always leaning on you to do things for them that they really ought to do for themselves. And you're starting to wish you really didn't have that relative. Or you start to fantasize about moving to a different city so that you didn't have to deal with them and you resent having to help them and your attitude isn't improving and. Or, or maybe you tend to get into heated arguments at work 
because you have more experience than most of the people around you, but they don't want to listen to your experienced voice telling them what is best all of the time. There are times when we have to deny ourselves for the sake of others and for the cause of Christ. And I wonder what it would look like if Christians stopped demanding their own way, stopped having to have the last word, stopped insisting that they were right on every point of philosophy or science, and stopped judging everyone else around them. Jesus has something very specific to say to all of those who want to be his disciples. And the passage begins in Mark 8, 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And as this is the gospel of Christ, I would invite you to stand for the reading of it. Mark 8, 34. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Lord Jesus, bless the reading of your word to our hearts today, we ask. In the name of Christ, amen. You may be seated. I think we have a tendency in church at times to read scriptures in very selective ways. We get all excited about the passage that says we need to invest our 10 talents and work for an increase. We are less excited by all the passages that say we should visit the imprisoned or clothe the naked. Some of us men are very happy to read in Ephesians that our wives should submit to us, but we completely ignore the verse before where we men are instructed to submit to our wives. If you're not sure it's there, read Ephesians 5.21. We heartily agree with the passage that says no one should murder and that gives us just enough truth to live by, but we, link, we wink at the passage that says in Matthew, anyone who calls his brother a fool is in danger of hellfire, especially when we're driving. We, we seem to live by little tiny nuggets of scripture that we've boiled down into mottos for ourselves. And that gives us enough truth to get by, but doesn't always help us see the big picture of what God is doing in the world. 
And I think if we're gonna live just by these little boiled down nuggets of passages that we think are right, that that probably is the definition of Christian poverty. Enough truth to stay alive, but not enough to thrive, and maybe not enough to survive for the long haul. We can do better than that. If you read Romans 10, 9, it says to you, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You might boil that down to, all I have to do in order to be saved is to confess and believe. And on the surface of it, that's true. But Romans 10, 9 is just one passage in a Bible full of passages. And that one statement is meant to be a summary, a simplification, if you will. But it carries implications far beyond the initial entrance into the kingdom of God. To get a full picture of what it means to be Christian, you must add passages like the one we're reading today. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, deny yourself. Doesn't say anything about that in Romans 10, 9. You gotta get over to the Gospel of Mark if you're gonna catch that. Deny yourself. This is the beginning of a new way of living. It starts here. This is the thing we do not want to do most of the time. That's where the struggle is. We do not want to deny ourselves. We want our own way. We want our own way regardless of what anyone else says. And we want our own way now. We feel entitled to get our own way. After all, aren't we the land of the free? Doesn't that mean we have the right to pursue our own happiness at the pace of our choice, to the degree of our choice? Isn't it our constitutional right to get our own way in matters that pertain to us? That is the American way, after all. We also talk about spiritual disciplines to help us draw closer to Christ. We talk about prayer, we talk about scripture reading, we talk about silence. All of these are things that we can do. What about the spiritual discipline of not always having to have your own way? What about denying yourself? I was reading recently uh, about Dallas Willard, a friend of his, John Ortberg, was writing, and he describes a conversation he overheard between Dallas and an acquaintance of his. He said he listened to the conversation, which bordered on enthusiastic, when all of a sudden, Dallas nodded and quit replying. Later, John said to Dallas, why did you stop speaking at that particular moment? And John observed that he knew several other things that Dallas could have said to win that argument. But instead, he chose to be silent. And he said, why, Dallas, did you choose to be silent? John wanted to know why. And Dallas replied, I was practicing the discipline of not always having to have the last word. 
you say, is that a spiritual discipline? Not always having the last word? What would it look like in our lives if we didn't have the last word? If we resisted the temptation to give some deserving person a piece of our mind? If we let other people exercise their choices even to the extent of us not getting our own way. You say, Pastor, is there a purpose in all of that? Well, ask Jesus. It's his command, not mine. Isn't it Jesus who's saying, deny yourself? Well, let's face it. It's uncomfortable to deny oneself. But we should understand that this is only entry-level suffering. Entry-level suffering is the kind of suffering that says, it's inconvenient to come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, but I know I need to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ, so I'll do this. Entry-level suffering is the kind that makes two meals on a weeknight after work so one can be taken to a family who's sick with the flu. It's not convenient, but we know we should do it. Entry-level suffering is knowing juicy gossip and not letting it pass our lips. Entry-level suffering is finding a way to care for those in need even when your own resources are limited. I heard this story this week, approximately this way. Uh, The story was told about a pastor who announced that in two weeks, they would take an offering for a needy family in the congregation. One single mom and her three children took this to heart because they knew what it was to struggle financially. It was near harvest time, so they sold some of the extra produce from their garden. They did some baking, and mom took some of the goods to her office to sell. The kids skimped on their lunch money and ate a little less. They gathered bottles to return and did everything they could think of to raise some extra cash. By the time the day of the offering came, they had gathered $40, which they converted to crisp, two crisp new $20 bills at the corner bank. They sat in a row at church that Sunday, the youngest at the aisle, all anticipating the offering time. When the plate came by, mom passed the envelope to the child sitting next to her, who passed it to the next child, who passed it to the youngest child, who with joy placed it in the offering plate. After the service, the pastor called the mom into his office for a moment. He said quietly, we know you've had some financial trouble lately and we really wanted to help. This is for you and he handed her an envelope. She was a bit confused. She opened the envelope and found two crisp $20 bills and two $1 bills. She gulped quietly and thanked the minister. She she showed her children the envelope on the way home from church. The joy they had experienced at the giving they had done drained from their faces. But fortunately, on the way home, 
they walked past a grocery store where a man was collecting money for Christmas gifts for children with an imprisoned parent. The youngest child yanked on his mom's arm and pointed. Mom handed the envelope to the oldest child, who passed it to the next child, who passed it to the youngest child, who dropped it into the box and then skipped the rest of the way home. Denying yourself is only entry-level suffering. And we tend to avoid any form of suffering like the plague. But suffering is necessary if you want to follow Christ. It would have been rough enough for us if Christ had just said, deny yourself. But he had to go on, didn't he? Pick up your cross and follow. Carrying a cross or a crosswalk is always a one-way journey. You don't come back from a crosswalk. At the end of the journey, you die. There are no round trips. That's why Jesus uses this particular analogy to describe the kind of a commitment that he wants from us. This kind of commitment, well, it's the kind of commitment that there's no backseas on. The kind of commitment to Christ that is saving is the kind that doesn't turn back. It's the kind that is consistent. It is directional. The crucifixion in mind, when Jesus tells us to pick up our cross, is the crucifixion of self-will that demands that you always get your own way. That crucifixion of self-will that makes the achievement of your personal goals and objectives more important than anything else in the world to you. Jesus is asking for a lifetime commitment to others expressed according to his leading, not your personal ideas. That will get messy. But unless there's a denying of self, there will never be a glimpse of God's glory among us. It's when we deny ourselves that the glory of God is manifest in us. In 1 Peter 4 we read, Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. You think it's enough to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord? Well, yes, that was enough for yesterday. But for today, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have to deny yourselves. When your neighbors need a babysitter in an emergency, you will have to deny yourself. When your co-worker needs help moving, you will have to deny yourself, especially if you have a pickup truck. When the church calls for meals for the sick house, you will have to deny yourself. When the local school calls for mentors for vulnerable children, you will have to deny yourself. When the Spirit of God moves you to visit a family where there has been a loss, you will have to deny yourself. When the soup kitchen needs servers, you will have to deny yourself. When the blood bank 
puts out a call for O positive blood, some of you will have to deny yourselves. When your spouse is getting on your last nerve, you will have to deny yourself. When your kids or, or your in-laws are driving you nuts, you will have to deny yourself. I suspect the Holy Spirit's already filling in the blanks for you, reminding you where you have to deny yourself. You're saying, Pastor, are you just saying that I should just always let myself be walked on? Well, there will be times when denying yourself feels like that. If you're not sure what is right or best, look at the life of Jesus and let him be your example of redemptive self-denial. Have the same attitude that was in Christ. Christ who humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, all for the sake of others for our sake, for your sake, and my sake. Let that be your model when you try to understand what deny yourself means. Wesley's prayer comes to mind when I speak this way. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or let me be set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. You want the glory of God to shine through your life? Deny yourself. Pick up that cross. Follow. Lord Jesus, I don't know that I can pray and ask you to make us comfortable with suffering. I don't know that I have the courage to pray that way or a conviction that that's possible. But I do pray that you would expand our vision, that you would give us an understanding of your work in this world and that we would have a big enough picture of who you are and what you're doing to be able to embrace suffering for your sake and for the sake of those who are around us and because you invite us to step into it. And so whether we're comfortable with it or not, would you help us see the value of it? And would you help us know your leading in it and to discern your invitation in this? Because we know that needless suffering 
doesn't achieve anything. But when you invite us to step into places where we have to deny ourselves, we know you are at work. And we want your glory to be seen in our lives. So move us out of the comfortable places of our lives and into places of service. Enable us to deny ourselves. Show us which crosses have our name on them. And give us strength to carry and wisdom to follow. Help us, Jesus. I need you, oh, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Would you rise to receive the benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show the light of his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen.